MC Rock, rocking on the LMC Rock, rock the LMC Rock, rocking on the LMC Rock, rock the LMC Rock, rocking on the LMC Rock, rock the LMC One, two, the LMC Hey, welcome back, everyone. That was LMC. I am Bo Ranstell, and you have found yourself again in the technological nightmare that is Hero Hero Go Show. For regular listeners of the show, you know we like to get a little weird sometimes. And this episode features one of the most striking examples of experimental Japanese filmmaking in the modern era. Uh, but I don't want you to be put off by that. That may sound boring. I promise you, nothing about the discussion of this movie is going to be boring. Um, I speak, of course, of Tetsuo the Iron Man, a film that is both art house cinema and cyberpunk nightmare. Uh, here to be infected by the metal along with me is Gary Hill, host of Cinema Beef and Two Drink Minimum Commentaries. Gary, welcome to the show, finally, and uh, tell me what I got wrong. Um, nothing. Everything sounds good. I am a, I am a, a skeleton boy living in a comb of a world, and... I'm about here to talk about a Tetsu with the garbage man, the garbage kids too, you know. Yeah, the, the garbage kids, garbage cats, garbage girlfriends, we got them all. Um, so, uh, if you're new to the show, uh, what we're going to do is briefly we are going to stroll through the plot because uh, that's the only way to discuss the plot of Tetsuo. Um, and then we're going to talk about what all this nonsense means uh, for uh, our listeners who perhaps um, are new to the Tetsuo uh, film. Uh, if you've never seen it before, oh my goodness. Uh, before you listen to any more, please go and watch it. It is available on the Shutter uh, streaming horror service right now. And uh, it's only an hour and four minutes long, better yet. So there is absolutely no reason for you not to uh, sit down and watch this movie if you have an interest in, say, I don't know, Gary, uh, Japanese splatter movies? Because that's kind of this Japanese splatter Japanese body horror Japanese gonzo craziness you know whatever you like yeah I mean it it, it this is pre you know machine girl and Tokyo Gore police and all the like the Ishibura stuff this is before all that it's way more experimental it's way more artistic than that stuff uh, even though I you know I love those movies myself but um, it, it is a different thing and it all right, so let, let's do some bona fides here on uh, on Tetsuo the Iron Man. It was directed uh, by a gentleman named Shinya Tsukamoto. Uh, Shinya Tsukamoto, uh, as well as Kei Fujiwara, who plays the woman in the movie, um, were both kind of behind the camera to an extent. Uh, they they made it as a couple. And uh, as we will get into uh, later, they uh, drove off the entire crew in the process. Uh, by the end of it, it was just the actors doing their own lighting and camera work and all that stuff. So um, this uh, Shinya Tsukamoto, uh, a, a quick uh, CV on this guy, um, kind of came out of the school of experimental film, was heavily influenced by... Uh, German Expressionism, as well as David Cronenberg, which is not surprising given what we're about to talk about. But he clearly loved Cronenberg, and uh, uh, man, uh, this movie is sort of <laughs> sort of that and more. Um, so the uh, Gary, out of curiosity, when did you first see Tetsuo? Well, much like many of these films, uh, I hung out at the flea market a lot. And I, I picked up a lot of these these Asian gems, including Tetsuo, and you know a lot of the films that you've talked about in this show already, and you're going to talk about. And so I was I was a bootleg kid, and uh, I'd say I saw this, and damn, early maybe like 2000, late 90s is probably when I picked this up, probably on like a really grainy VHS, and uh. Yeah, so they had bootlegs on VHS children. That was a long, long time ago. But, uh, yeah, with the uh, <laughs> the like the masking masking tape label on the side. Yes. Yeah, I'm familiar. But that's how I got introduced to lots of these films. This is no exception to this uh, this Gonzo world of Tetsuo. <laughs> yeah, it, it's 
Okay, so let, let's get into this. So, much like um, uh, a lot of experimental films here, we don't have named characters. They are, like, the man, the metal fetishist, uh, <laughs> which is a real character. So, um, a- actually, the man, uh, the main character of the film, is often referred to as the salaryman. Um, that is only significant because at the time of uh, the making of this film, in, in 1989 is when this film was released. Um, this is kind of the point in the 80s or on the tail end of the 80s where in Japan they were really shifting uh, hardcore into a very industrial economy. You know, like all the you know VHS uh, machines and Walkman and all that stuff. Like th- that's what was going on in Japan. That was their production. And salarymen are, uh, if you get a job in Japan, you tend to do, do that job forever. You know, like you don't you don't bounce around a lot um, looking for the the next best thing. Um, you're kind of like you get a job, you work for that job your entire life, and that's where you retire from. And uh, and those people are called salarymen uh, in the in the lexicon in Japan. So uh, I again, not to take a uh, symbolic divergence here, but I think it's important to say like. This movie is nothing if not heavily symbolic, as well as being absolutely crazy pants. So, uh, so the salaryman um, is uh, well. The, the movie opens with the metal fetishist, um, who is a character that reappears throughout the film as well. Uh, he cuts open his leg, and then starts shoving uh, a big rod, <laughs> a metal it's rod, and under like, his it's like rebar, yeah. Yeah, and um, he – so he does that, and then uh, there's a quick cut to him examining his leg later, and it's been wrapped up in bandage and stuff. And he opens up the uh, the bandage or unpeels the bandage to, to take a peek at the wound on his leg. And it is, as you would imagine, um, covered with maggots. Mm-hmm. Very uh, infected. <laughs> Right, very infected, and he uh, he he screams. He he has a good old fashioned freak out, and runs into uh, the street where he is uh, hit by a car. And uh, the driver of the car is the salaryman in question, as played by Tumoro Tumorowo. <laughs> That's a hard a hard name to pronounce. Uh, yeah. T-O-M-O-R-O-W-O. Give it a shot, listeners, uh, and enjoy. That's that, that's a new game we have here on Hero Hero Go Show. But uh, Tumorowo Taguchi um, is the actor. He was the really the only professional actor uh, that wasn't also part of the crew in some way. Um, Faye Fujiwara. Huh, man, names are not uh, my friend tonight. K Fujiwara, on the other hand, uh, plays his girlfriend. And um, we're going to kind of talk about this story in a linear way, I think, Gary, because the, the like the timeline jumps around a bunch and and we're getting these reveals throughout the movie. But this is what's happening. So um, so when uh, the salaryman and his girlfriend hit the metal fetishist, it turns out he's not dead. And so what they do is they roll him into uh, a, a ditch, essentially, and then uh, they have sex while he watches from his place in the ditch, as you do once you've hit someone uh, with your car and then dump the body. And uh, then our salaryman character uh, begins to grow metal, essentially. Um, this is, is seen a couple of different ways. Uh, really the first time when, when you're first in, interested to the, uh, the salaryman, we do get the scene of, uh, the car accident, very stylistic where like, you know, the camera freezes and it shows all these different points of view and stuff like that. Again, this is kind of an arty film. Uh, but don't let that, don't let that fool you because the, the context of the artiness is, uh, is all, you know, penis drills. So, uh, so, but yeah, so they, they hit this guy and then we, we see the salaryman, um, a little bit later on, uh, the subway 
and there is a uh, a woman in glasses. That's how she's listed in the, in the credits. Woman in glasses. Um, that is kind of looking at him, and he's found this thing on his cheek, this piece of metal that's kind of sticking out of his cheek. Otherwise, you know, he he seems to be okay. Uh, but then he has a vision of this pile of metal on the floor of the subway that the woman is looking at, and then the woman uh, becomes uh, like a weird mutated, somewhat metallic or or, or metal infused screaming banshee coming after him. And there's kind of an extended sequence of him just running away from this lady <laughs> that that and she's got like a, a the cyber hand, you know, like a big yeah. metal hand. And that's kind of what what's most scary about her uh, and, and some makeup and stuff. It's almost um, the makeup is very Kabuki uh, in, in uh, Tetsuo. There's a lot of, you know, the thick black lines, especially around the eyes and, and that kind of thing. And uh and she ends up chasing him around, and and then he uh, he flees her. And throughout this scene, it's kind of hard to describe every piece of action because it's like one minute uh, he's in a room, and then she's trying to get to him in the room, and then they're on the street. And you know, it, it's it's a lot of flashes. It's kind of like a Rob Zombie video, but you know, yeah. And all the while, industrial music is playing. Yes. And it's it's black and white. It's shot on sixteen millimeter. Um, a another quick footnote: this is Shinya Sukamoto's uh, first sixteen millimeter film. Everything prior to this had been uh, super eight millimeter. Um, and it, it, it's important to note that because like Sukamoto uh, does a lot of experimental filmmaking, um, and later on we'll try to point out you know some of the influences here and so forth, but. Um, he is he is very much a student of film, and as a result, he makes a film that references a lot of other film styles as well as mu- musical styles. So you have you know this this crazy German German influenced industrial music playing as you're seeing black and white imagery that's cut together super fast and sometimes out of order. Uh, in a way that is actually similar to, uh, hold on, let me find the guy's name. Um, oh, uh, Sogo Ishii, um, who had done the movies Burst City and Crazy Thunder Road, and in that style of filmmaking, and that that those movies came out uh, kind of in the early '80s ish. So uh, Sukamoto um, saw those movies, and in fact referred to Sogo Ishii. As sort of his um, his older brother, his older cinematic brother is how he, how he put it, and um, so he's combining this weird music, the, this crazy kinetic visual style with kabuki ma- makeup and uh, disorienting editing. Um, so please forgive us as we talk about this movie <laughs> in in as linear a way as possible, but it just don't work like that, Gary. <laughs> it, it, it is very insane, you know. And very, very insane. Yeah, it, uh, the, yeah. so he, he finally gets away from the, the woman in glasses that's pursuing him, and he goes home to his girlfriend, and um, he's now got, like, a bandage on his face, and uh, things are not going well for our salaryman character. Um, just more and more weird shit keeps appearing on his body of, of a metallic and or industrial nature. Um, so then, uh, he and his girlfriend, uh, have sex, uh, which, you know, why don't you? And, uh, they're like eating dinner and then all of a sudden, uh, he starts to get a little crazy with her and, you know, she, he's like, look, I'm, I'm becoming this monster. And, and there's very little dialogue. So a lot of the <laughs> paraphrasing I'm doing is just stuff that happens in the movie that nobody really comments on as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a uniquely difficult movie to discuss in some ways because there's not a ton of dialogue and it doesn't like Juwan doesn't happen chronologically, but at least there's kind of this through line through the movie and Tetsuo is just like, here's just a lot of weird stuff, y'all. And that you're, that you're probably not going to understand what's going on. Hell, I don't understand what's going on half the time in this movie, but 
No, I mean, how could you? Uh, because there's so much being thrown at you. And, and I mean, we'll get into some interpretive stuff, but even that stuff, like there is critical writing on this film that, you know, I certainly read and researched and all, but um, even that is just like, yeah, this is everybody's best guess. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, Tetsuo is, is a film that, is open to your interpretation for sure. I mean, there's a definite beginning, middle, and end. Um, although we're already kind of in the middle of it. Um, it's not a very long movie, though. Yeah, it's, a, you know, like I said, it's an hour and four minutes long. It, it, it trucks along at a pretty good clip. Uh, and because of the kind of editing style and everything, the whole movie is just, you know, bonkers. Like, it, it flies by because there's constantly something being beamed into your eyes you know it's not it's not like this movie is a lot of long ponderous steady shots of people talking at a table uh we uh what is it uh my dinner uh with andre this is not um so at any rate uh back to uh what actually goes down in this movie so um Oh, also, I, I forgot about the at the opening of the movie. I uh, just want to mention it because we'll come back to it later. There's a scene where the salaryman, the phone's ringing, he picks it up, and it's just him, him saying, hello, and the voice on the other end saying, hello. And he says, hello, and the voice says, hello. And that goes on for, you know, probably like 15 seconds, 20 seconds, something like that, because nothing in this movie sticks around for long. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those moments where in the early goings in the movie, you're like, what the hell is that all about? Um, and it really just goes from there. Um, so, uh, at any rate, uh, we, we get back to, um, the salaryman has this crazy dream about his girlfriend and there is, it's, it's him and his girlfriend and his girlfriend is dancing and there's a metal probe coming out of her body while the salaryman is just kind of hanging out uh, all, all naked-like uh, on his hands and knees. And I don't know about you, Gary. When I saw this probe weaving around, I thought I knew where it was going. And, I mean, I was right. But, I mean, <laughs> I, I, and I don't have, like, any, any symbolic... Uh, interpretation of this other other than you know the, the typical stuff like well it's the transfer of gender roles and stuff like that but at the end of the day it's his girlfriend growing a metal tube and and putting it in his bottom area yep uh at which point he wakes up as you would imagine yeah it's cause, so it's almost like you know he's 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 trying to reject the metal but she's totally accepting the metal and he he now has to accept her in a way, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and so, but you come out of this dream to him uh, beginning to uh, uh, feed her, and uh, they're like mini hot dogs or something. Yeah, and so I mean, obviously the imagery is suggestive, and the way that she is licking the mini hot dogs, <laughs> the little wieners. And, uh, you know, wrapping her lips around him and whatnot. It's like, I get what's going on here. And then she eats it and starts chomping on the uh, the fork. Not eating it, but just kind of scraping it along her teeth and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Uh, th it, that's one of those sounds that really gets me. Uh, well, when, we, when you get to the end of the movie, it's almost like you, you kind of know why she's doing it when you see what happens at the very end of the movie. Sure, sure. Uh but there is definitely, like, the whole movie is kind of this combination of, like, sensuality and, and, and the metallic and the, the, you know, the Iron Man, uh, the, the metal and, and the industrial and the cyber and wires and all that kind of stuff. It's, it, it's like, uh, um, not quite Giger-esque, but it certainly is in the ballpark. And, um... At any rate, it's so weird. So weird. Um, so she she eats the little wieners and then starts chewing on the fork a little bit. Yeah. And at which point uh, we hear a whirring sound, Gary. Yeah, well, what, what is that sound, Bo? Uh, <laughs> that would be uh, your old meat and potatoes drill penis that you see so often. 
but yeah, this is like his next mutation as, as like his hands and face starts to get a little more, uh, metallic where it's basically just <laughs> like people gluing aluminum foil on this dude's face, quite frankly, but, uh, it, it works. And yeah. And, and so he, uh, stands up and there is, I would say what a foot long drill. Oh, at least, at least. Yeah, like, I mean, it's not, I don't know that it's two feet. It's it's like a foot, foot and a half, though, of this. Length and dearth, man, that thing is pretty thick. Right, like it's the conical kind of drill so that the tip is real sharp and pointed, and then it just gets wider and wider until you get to the base of it and all. Yeah. And so he's kind of horrified by it uh, himself, but... Then he kind of turns, like he is slowly being possessed and influenced by the metal fetishist, you know, we learn later. But he's, he's having a real teen wolf moment in the bathroom there. <laughs> he really is. Like, <laughs> son, you and I should talk. Um, sometimes it skips a generation, but people in our family get drill penises. <laughs> Scott. Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, he's got this drill penis and. He starts chasing his girlfriend around, who is rightfully horrified by the prospect. And uh, finally, he kind of has a breakdown, and, and she starts to come close to him because he seems like he, he's himself again, uh, somewhat. And then she climbs on top of him, and he wakes up, uh, or kind of comes to... Um, with her just kind of vibrating on top of him. Yeah. I'm sorry to laugh about this, but it's just so crazy. So uh, she's kind of shuddering on top of him and then starts spitting up blood, and we realize, oh, he has, his drill penis became erect and drilled through her. Yeah, then it gets more strange. Because that's not just you know drilling her; it uh, it uh, it, it changes her, if you will. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. At, at at first, she's just dead, and he immediately does what you do when you have murdered uh, your girlfriend with your drill penis. Uh, he takes a bath, and mm-hmm. and then has another uh, of his kind of weird dreams and visions involving. The metal fetishist who is most often seen in these kind of flashback scenes as being this sort of gray painted, one would assume. Again, this is all black and white, but it's kind of a gray color uh, or silver color. And uh, he is wound into this, you know, womb of wires and pieces of metal and stuff. And you see him a lot in there, and, and this is one of those moments where you kind of see some of that. And then the salaryman wakes up, and he puts then he puts his girlfriend, who he has murdered, into the bath with flowers, although the water is gross and bloody, uh, which is a thing that <laughs> that always bothers me in movies for some reason. If I see a lot of, like a, a lot of blood in a bath, I, I'm just like, God, that's going to be hard to get out. Oh, definitely. Uh, that thing gets in the tiles and just, you're done. Well, uh, then again, this, this is black and white, so it's probably chocolate syrup, but that, that's not in context of the film. You know? Right, right. Um, so she ends up uh, kind of coming back. Well, she gets out of the tub, and she's all like all meddled up a little bit. Not, not nearly as much as the salaryman, but a little bit. And... Then she melts sort of like the uh, the the zombie or the possessed guy or girl from Evil Dead. Oh, yeah. Know, where it's kind there's, of claymation and bubbly. There's a lot of Sam Raimi, you know, especially the, the, the first Evil Dead film, in influence with the effects in this film. Oh, for sure. There's a lot of stop motion um, as well as the glued-on aluminum foil and stuff. But he... Uh, so the the girl melts down, the girlfriend melts down, and in her place is now the metal fetishist. And he he also turns all of the salaryman's cats into horrifying monstrosities. Yeah, the cats do not stand a chance. Yeah, but 
Yeah, which, like, the cats aren't a big deal. It's not like, you know, listeners may be saying, but, Bo, where did the cats come from? I don't know. I know that there were cats in the apartment, and then all of a sudden there are cat-like monstrosities that are part fish head, ironically. (laughs) (laughs) Which, by the way, is the Dante hell for Heathcliff the cat. Yes. (laughs) It's just to be made... (laughs) Of part of a fish head. Uh, and, yeah, so those are horrifying. And then the metal fetishist says, hey, man, uh, I'm going to show you a vision of the future. How's that sound? And then we are treated to, I don't, I mean, how would you describe this, Gary? It's an apocalypse, certainly. It's Yeah, it most definitely, or everything, you know, like, well, the, 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 their end goal is... I guess to make everything metal, including your 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 internal organs and your brain. So I guess like that'd be the end game. You're very steampunk, you know, steampunk Cronenberg world. You need to be a part of it, or you won't be a part of it. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> or be or be absorbed by something else. <laughs> and like the, there are moments in in this vision of the future, like it's. Even the flowers are basically little metal bulbs and stuff, and mm. it's all over this blasted, you know, uh, hellscape of nothing but rock and distant lightning and stuff. It, it's oh. it, it's sort of the uh, the post Skynet world, only there's I'm, no I'm, Terminators. I'm gonna show my nerd, uh, my nerd, I guess, street cred here, and it's not really a street cred at all because everybody knows what the fuck this is if they watch Star Trek at all. It almost reminded me of the Borg in a way, but like, in, you know, it made, it, well, the Borg made a lot more sense, but this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, yeah. But it, just in fact, to, to assimilate you to this, uh, assimilate this, to, to this, uh, this being that you, your, your body rejects, you, your, your body tries to reject it, but some outside force, you know, much like David Cronenberg films, is making you, Mutant is something that you obviously don't want to be, so you can either embrace that or not. Yeah, and and in the vision, like you see somebody struggling under a body bag, essentially some kind of plastic, and and water is is flooding around them, and then wires come to get them, and they're just like you said, they're just kind of assimilated, but it's not like they're assimilating consciousness. It's just more like, oh, you're you would be better metal. And yes. without any thought or just being a, a piece of industry, um, uh, a piece of, of, of the uh, of, of the metallic of the of the created, the crafted. Um, it's it's it, it's a weird dream, but it's also maybe my favorite thing in the movie. I think that whole sequence is really striking. Um it has a very again that you know this is a, a a guy who certainly knew who David Lynch was and knew who David Cronenberg was, but this sequence feels less Cronenberg and way more Lynchian to me, uh, much more like a racer head or something. And, well, it, it kind of opens up the world to say you know this is what's going on to to make this to give this film some kind of sense in a way. If, yeah. If, if if you needed that in this film, it gives it kind of gives you some 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 perspective on what uh, their intentions are as far as making everybody metal. In yeah, that that this is going to be the glorious future where there's no more there's no more life at all. It's just planet plus metal, and um, you know, if you're into that kind of thing. Um, so then they chase each other. Uh, around the city, they get rocket boots, which is, is pretty great. And uh, and this is very Raimi, this kind of you know first person camera whipping through the streets, like speeding up the uh, the the film and all that. And they chase each other around, and the metal fetish just kind of beats the shit out of uh, Tetsuo, the Iron Man. Um, and at at the point where it's like, oh, maybe he's going to finish this dude off or something. Then enter the homeless guy um, who bangs a pipe on metal, and that freaks out the metal fetishist. And he starts beating uh, Tetsuo to death. 
And the metal fetishist apparently is hurt by that as well, implying that there is some connection between them, I assume. Yeah. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. I got that yeah. too, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's my best guess, kind of. And um, then they, the metal fetishist is uh, finally, you know, kind of comes to and, and whatnot and, and faces uh, Tetsuo, uh, the Iron Man, and um, he basically says, like, I need to show you what you are and, and what you can be. And then there is uh, what is often described as a rebirth sequence in which uh, both the fetishist and the salaryman, or Tetsuo, or I, I suppose at this point, um, are connected by this metal umbilical cord. And then weird stuff visually happens. It's more of the kind of bubbly look, but then metal is flying around and whatnot as well. And they end up becoming this giant metal monster with two heads. And, yeah. And then they say they're gonna they're gonna turn the world into metal and rust. And the the line is, our love can put an end to this fucking world. Let's go. And there endeth Tetsuo the Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, it's, it's, it's their way or the highway. You know, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of a buddy movie in a way. It, it is, it is in in a lot of ways, and it's very very strange to say that, but this is a pretty strange film, so it's kind of hard to to describe it any other way. Yeah, yeah, and and instead of the end at the closing credits, um, the final words on the screen are game over. In this episode, we throw the word cyberpunk around quite a bit, but what is cyberpunk exactly, and how does Japanese cyberpunk differ from what we have come to know in the West? Good news, that's just what we're here to talk about. The term cyberpunk was coined by Bruce Bethke, first used for his 1980 story entitled, appropriately enough, Cyberpunk. This subgenre of science fiction was popularized by authors like William Gibson and Philip K. Dick, whose seminal work, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, became the best filmic example of Western cyberpunk. It defines some of the predominant elements within the cyberpunk subgenre that became essential components of the movement. First, technology has to be near future. No Star Wars here, just technology integrated even more deeply into our lives. The protagonist is generally going to be of the lower class or certainly on the outskirts of proper society. He or she is probably a master of the technological world they inhabit, artists with their keyboards, but generally looked down upon by the whole of society. They inhabit a seedy world populated by criminals and femme fatales. A lot of cyberpunk can be considered neo-noir. That is, that it embraces noir tropes and whips a little sci-fi on top for good measure. Unlike the science fiction of the mid-20th century, which tended to be optimistic and forward-looking, cyberpunk saw the innovations of the technologic age as a wedge to further separate classes from one another and assert more control by governments and corporations over its citizens. Many of the tales involve a hacker of some kind being used by larger forces to further their own ends, or a rebellious protagonist looking to wield technology as a weapon against their corporate overlords. As we have discussed on the show before, Japan in the 1980s was undergoing an unprecedented explosion in technology and manufacturing and, yes, music. Much like the rest of the world, punk hit Japan hard, and the anti-establishment, garage-based influence filtered from music to film, especially thanks to a gentleman by the name of Sogo Ishii. Ishii, born in 1957, was a pillar of the underground filmmaking scene in Japan, even as studios were struggling to find their place in a world of home video markets. With his ultra-low-budget efforts, Ishii gained the attention of the cinematic community with films like Panic High School and especially Crazy Thunder Road. Crazy Thunder Road's biker gang-slash-punk aesthetic would later inform Akira and other films. 
Ishii's seismic film, though, was Burst City, a punk-influenced wall of noise and visuals that trains its eye on the postmodern landscape, factories, and discarded metal cathedrals. This, perhaps more than any other influence, gave Tsukamoto his eye for Tetsuo, as well as influencing Takashi Miike and Takeshi Kitano. Next in line for most important Eastern cyberpunk artist, Shigeru Izumiya's Death Powder, a movie that is almost impossible to find now. In Death Powder, a group of researchers are in possession of a Guernica, a feminine android that spits poisonous dust from its mouth. When the man tasked with guarding the Guernica is exposed to the dust, he begins to mutate and pose a danger to the others. More than most films before, Death Powder tackles the notion of humanity, especially with regard to how much of one person may be replaced by a machine and still be technically human. And this is one of the big differences between East and West when it comes to cyberpunk fiction. While the Western films present these large, overarching stories about existence, the low-budget exercises from Japan focus on the individual metamorphosis, a betrayal of flesh into machine and the human cost of this. Coupled with the post-industrial imagery, it creates something more immediate and imperative, the loss of self or perhaps the evolution of self with no guarantee of outcome. In 1988, Japanese cyberpunk got its poster boy with Akira, directed by Katsuhiro Otomo. While it does resemble the aesthetics of Blade Runner more than the low-budget affairs of Izumiya or Ishii, it retains the body horror that marked most of the subgenre in Japan. It was also the movie that launched a thousand anime. After the success of Akira on a global scale, anime and manga penetrated Western culture like never before, exposing the world to Japan's particular brand of sci-fi nihilism. Like many of its experimental predecessors, Akira leans more on its visual style than narrative prowess. Following Akira, we come to Tetsuo and Tsukamoto's bold vision. Cribbed visually from Ishii and Izumiya and Cronenberg and Raimi, its festival run made it an international sensation almost immediately. It remains the fulcrum upon which Japanese cyberpunk turns and gives a dizzying look at Tsukamoto's thoughts on both body horror and the relationship of man to machine and man to his environment in a startling way. It is, quite simply, a movie you gotta watch. Look, the flavors of Japanese cyberpunk are varied, from anime to manga to film, and some of it has become frustratingly hard to find given the low-budget origins of some of these films. Yet, if you are interested in the dark eroticism or alienation of humans becoming machine, no one does it with the abandoned and, yes, punk rock vivacity of the East. Explore more and let me know what you find. I promise to do the same. See? Two-way street. And now... Back to the transmogrification of man to metal. So that is the story of Tetsuo the Iron Man, but that is only part of the story, uh, ladies and jelly spoons. Because with a film like this, it's not really about the plot. I mean, it's a little bit about the plot, but that that's not the point of the movie, I would argue. <laughs> um Tetsuo the Iron Man is is much more a film uh that falls into step with a number of other movies we've actually talked about on this show, uh, including uh, Ringu, which we just did, and um, Phone, and One Missed Call, and it, it is the insertion of the modern. You know, it is the, the technological and the industrial uh, thrusting itself into Japanese culture, which is, again, as we've talked about on this show a number of times, a very traditional, family-oriented, um, very uh, staid culture. And this movie is kind of transgressive in a number of ways. Uh, first of all, because of the, I think, the sexuality in it, or, or the way that the sexuality is treated. Um, so uh, <laughs> slip into your smoking jacket and pour that brandy, because we're about to get sexy time on Hero Hero Go Show. Um, yeah, so I, one of my thoughts, Gary, and, and you tell me if you think I'm, I'm stupid, um, (laughs) don't, don't be so quick, uh, is that in every time that you see, uh, the salaryman and his girlfriend doing it, 
if you know what I mean. They are, it, like, the first time is immediately after the car crash. Uh, the second time is, um, is sort of after his transformation has begun. And the the last time that we get, or, well, maybe not the last time chronologically, but the other the other time we see this kind of sexual dynamic between them is in the dream where the metal tube goes up his uh, bottom. And I, so my interpretation of this is sort of what Cronenberg was doing in the movie Crash, even though I'll have to double check my math on this, but I believe that Crash came out uh, later than Tetsuo the Iron Man. Um, and am I right? Yes. No. Yes. Yes. Okay. Crash. Uh, the Cronenberg Crash came out in 96. Uh, Tetsuo is, uh, as we mentioned, 89. So, point being that I think this movie sort of predates um, Crash, not only in terms of the depiction of the sexuality, uh, but also thematically. You know, that it, it's this idea of man-meeting machine, and there's something kind of sexy about that. Yeah, I've never seen Crash, so I have no frame of reference as far as that film. How but, dare um, you not see a movie that I I never told you we would discuss? I've never no I just I just did, I haven't seen it I've seen probably half not not half of Cronenberg stuff I'd say a good a third of it and that's one of the ones I haven't seen. But um, yeah, the perversion between man you know, it's it's more like an exception of 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 the metal and I think she accepted it a little more than the salary man did. Which is the way you got to that that third scene that you mentioned, where, where she was cho- choosing for to have him accept her, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, I, accept I, her all night long, baby. All, all night long, baby. Yes. And, um. Yeah, just there's that word again. Assimilate. It, it assimilated. It, it it took to her more than than him. He would ever and again left with that 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 final choice at the end, where she's all of absorbed people and shit and whatever that giant blob of rolling goo was. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, yeah. And, and the other thing that I would, I would throw into the, uh, sexy time mix is there's also an element of, uh, like Hellraiser esque pleasure and pain sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't think you can see the drill penis scene, Without uh, thinking, I mean, it's not. Well, well, she she's seen it, and she was clearly still into it. Like, yeah, she was. She was willing to accept the drill penis <laughs> even after she's seen it, like going all wild and stuff. Yeah, and and there's this kind of sadomasochistic element to that. That again is really strange. I mean, not not that there aren't elements of like S and M kind of stuff in Japanese cinema, because. I mean, there's a whole subgenre of of pink films that are nothing but bondage movies. But to have you know, kind of this frank discussion about uh, in you know a, a frank cinematic discussion uh, in in for the purposes of this film about the idea of sex being of incorporated into this industrial as well in in, in into this. Uh, you know, the modernization of Japan is kind of at the root of all this, but it's also like, well, that that invades every part of our lives. You know, it, it's not just, uh, you know, sexy times. It, it's sexy times plus the technology because it's that pervasive, that it, it's always part of uh, our interactions with one another, I think. <laughs> is what is what Tsukamoto is getting. You're, you're probably spot on because you know I'm sure you and I have heard this more than once. It looks a little weird, but I'm giving it a shot. You know, it's just, yeah. Um, I mean, this is a country where they they sell used girls' panties in vending machines. So I I, I don't know. It's, I guess they're up for anything. You know, it's just yeah, well, it's just <laughs> the with, with that in particular. I think it's just a fetish fetishization of high school girls in Japan, mm-hmm. you know, um, and there are a number of theories about why that is. And the, probably once we get into sh- uh, episodes like uh, some of the wishing stare stuff, like uh, whispering corridors and, and, and those kind of movies, um, 
we'll get more into that because those are very much about uh, sort of teenage sexuality and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean, there uh, the Japanese culture uh, had uh, oh god, what was the name of the? I'd have to go back and listen to my own episode. But there there was a board that established essentially the Japanese version of the MPAA. Mm-hmm. Um, EISA, I think. Anyway, something like that. At any rate, um, and they established three things that you can't do in a movie. You can't show bare genitals. You can't show penetration. And you, what was the other thing? You can't show, you can't show the bare genitals. You can't show penetration. And you can't show something else. And I can't remember what that is. But uh, the the rules as they stood uh, contributed to the idea that bondage movies were okay because uh, you weren't actually doing any penetration. So you couldn't depict a man and woman having sex in a movie, not or at least graphically. But you could absolutely show a dude beating the shit out of a woman. And that that's okay. Um. And I'm not, you know, again, every every culture is different. Every culture has its own mores. And, and that's one of the things I find so interesting about these movies is because they do come from um, a different cultural heritage. But, yeah, well, it's well, weird. No doubt. All I'm saying is that the, the beating of the women worked for Tarantino and they, they hate Filet because they, uh, they, they tore up poor Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, she gets the ever-living hell beat out of her in that movie. Uh, that man, and and is so good in it too. What a phenomenal movie that Hateful Eight is. I really like that a lot. Uh, and Walton Goggins, not to get totally off topic, but Walton Goggins is great in that movie too. Um, he's great anyway. I like him in everything. Yeah, I do too. I do too. I, I think he's one of those actors that when he shows up in something, I'm really glad he's there. Um, all right, so let's. Uh, also talk about a little bit of the fusing of man and machine, because that is kind of what the movie is all about. Um, by the end of the movie, uh, prior to his joining, well, even after he joins with the uh, metal fetishist, um, the salaryman basically just looks like a big pile of, of garbage <laughs> and, and metal um, at, at the end of the film, kind of when he's slumped against the wall at the end. It reminds me of, um, and I'm, I'm not going to know the name of this video game, but there's a video game that was from Japan where you roll around and you p- just pick shit up and you get points for it. Katamari Damacy, yes. Yeah, this one rolled around in a, in a scrapyard. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Got some, got some points. <laughs> yeah, if, uh, yeah uh, if, if you were rolling a Katamari around a junkyard, this is what it would look like. Um, yeah, and all right, so... Uh, about the the melding of man and machine, you know that is something that obviously is a a sci-fi trope. Um, this movie is often kind of lumped into the cyberpunk genre, uh, which I don't think is wrong, you know, because it is definitely about fetishizing, you know, man-made steel and metal, and and sort of the sexual or sensual allure of that in a way. Um, but this is also on the tail end of that cyberpunk movement, really. Um, about 1988, uh, according to my research is about where that hit the, uh, the high watermark. And, you know, it's something that Tsukamoto was obviously, if not influenced by, was aware of. And I, I think as a result was, was probably influencing some of that because, like throughout the movie, he cuts into uh, uh, shots of machines in a steel mill, um, and th- like, and this is in, in the opening titles. But it's him, uh, the salaryman, dancing in this kind of herky jerky way that I think is meant to mimic sort of machine like movement, and that is cut. Him dancing is cut between. The, you know the the machines working in the st- the steel mill as well, um, and I again I think it's just kind of driving home that thematic point that human motion and industrial motion can be the same thing, um, and you know there like I said there's all kinds of jump cuts and slow mo shots like even even the car hitting the uh, metal fetishist. 
you know, like I, I was saying earlier, that scene is stopped. It's shown from different directions. It's it it goes into slow mo throughout the movie. You see various moments where you repeat that scene. Only the film's running backwards and yada yada. Um, but in all those cases, there is something about you know man literally meeting machine in that scene that is hammered at you over and over again. Um, which I, I think is interesting. I mean, it's, it's not the most subtle symbolism, but I think it works, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think it does too. I mean, like, like I said, a lot of, a lot of parts of the film, <clears throat> I don't think you're meant to understand unless you really dive into the subtext of, you know, what's going on, but it's, it's never boring. And there's always something going on for, for an hour and four minutes. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, it's just a crazy, crazy film. And, that has many underlying themes in it. <laughs> yeah, it, it it really is one of those movies. I kind of made this joke when we were uh, talking about the movie Ringu. I was saying, hey, this is a movie that you can actually feel good about liking a lot because, yes, it's scary, but there's also, you know, some some pretty interesting commentary being made about the state of, of families in Japan and stuff like that. So this alternately is a movie that you don't even necessarily have to be scared by, although repulsion is a distinct possibility. You, you could genuinely be grossed out by this movie if you've never seen it. Um, but despite that, kind of the point of this movie is its social commentary and, and, and symbolism. Um, there's still plenty, like if, if you're not down for a heady viewing <laughs> where you're like, oh, I should get my notepad and maybe a cup of decaf and try to pick apart Tetsuo the Iron Man, don't worry about it. That's what this show is for. Just listen to this, put it in the back of your head, and the next time you watch it, you can just sit back and, and, and enjoy this crazy frenetic film. You know? And I... I just, no, go ahead. But, I'm sorry. Much like the Trill Penis, just take it all in. You know, it's... it's yeah, I mean, you do just kind of sit back and let the movie happen to you, you know? And then at the end of it, you're like, huh, I guess the whole world turns into metal and rust. Well, huh. Um, but it, I don't know. I mean, there are visuals in this movie you'll never forget. I keep mentioning the drill penis because I, it's hard not to unsee the mm-hmm. drill penis, but uh, as well as the hose in the bottom. Uh which, which is probably the worst children's book you'll ever buy. <laughs> but like, I, I feel like I keep underselling how much fun this movie can be, and also, shit, I can't believe we didn't talk about this earlier. How much of an anime character does the metal fetishist look like with his, you know, gelled up hair? He looks yeah, like de- uh, the dude from Dr- Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. Which, which character would it be? Vegeta or not the one? It's I, been so long since I watched that freaking show. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not great with the names, but he looks an awful lot like if the guy from Dragon Ball Z had a uh, uh, dark hair and a bunch of metal shit sticking on him, it would be this character. Yeah, and and but and there's also that kind of anime influence, like when he he and uh, uh, the salarymen are fighting at the end of the movie. You know, and there's all those like crazy fast shots of going down alleys and making turns on roads and stuff, uh, where he's like hitting him, and then the salaryman will fly three blocks into a wall or something. Which all the the other thing that's real fun about those moments is when he crashes into the wall, uh, it's just like a little puff of smoke or something, and it's like, man, you just got knocked a mile and a half into this wall, and it's just like, oh. All right, back to work. Um, but, yeah, but uh, the point I was making earlier is just that, like, all that stuff feels real anime to me. It, it, aside from the kind of thick black lines to indicate motion that you see in a, a lot of anime, if it had that in those shots as well, uh, we were talking off the air about Scott Pilgrim, but, man, that would look like a real Scott Pilgrim move. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, like, it... Uh, what what I think is striking about Tetsuo is it's visually interesting. The sound design is really, really good, even though this is all primitive and it's all kind of lo-fi. 
but all the sounds of metal and and machinery uh coupled with that kind of german techno kind of vibe um that's really cool the effects are occasionally a little silly but sometimes horrifying and always interesting and and like i said i think you know the movie is dense i think it's a movie that you can watch on multiple occasions and get different stuff out of it um I don't know. Yeah, it's a technical thing, but was this like a low budget type film or? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This was like made with a few people and in, in you know an apartment somewhere. Hey, uh, don't forget, don't forget a, a, a an ace welder on this film because somebody had to put all that metal together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. And yeah, it's it's. Um, I don't know what the budget was, but it, I mean, I I believe it was released. Maybe direct to home video. I I believe. Eh, maybe I don't know. Yeah. Um. There is an extended cut which I have not seen, that runs about an extra ten minutes. Mm. And I'm not sure what the differences are. I'm 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 still trying to track that down. Um. But yeah, it's it, it it's really strong. I mean, any anything else that we're forgetting about this movie before we. Uh, slam the uh, the heavy metal lid on Tetsuo. Well, I don't give. I don't want to give a ton more away because there's, like I said, it's an hour and four minutes of just craziness, and I would recommend it if you haven't seen it before. Oh yeah, absolutely, and 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 hopefully, if uh, if you haven't seen it and and this show has inspired you to, to see it, maybe come back even after you you've uh, seen the film. Um, and maybe some of the stuff we're saying makes a little more sense. Um, but yeah, it's a phenomenal viewing experience. It, it, to me, it's a seminal film uh, in terms of Asian horror. It's one of those things that, I, I, not even Asian horror, I just think if you if you want to see movie uh, a movie that operates differently than what you have come to expect, if you just like experimental or art house films, this movie is for you. If you kind of like Japanese splatter, this movie is for you. Like I, it's one of those movies that if you've never seen it, I always recommend like, Oh yeah, you, you should absolutely, absolutely watch Tetsuo. Cause at some point a drill penis is going to make an appearance and you're going to want to see that. Um, it, it, it kind of reminded me of it. This, this is a newer film. I don't know if you, if anybody caught this, but I, I thought it was great. Cause I watched anything that Charlotte Copley's in, uh, hardcore Henry. Was it called? I think it was. I have seen that. Yeah, I thought it, it, it felt a lot like this movie, except for the fact that Harker Henry is a guy who who wakes up, and he 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 was amputated by gangsters, but he wakes up and he has this new body, and just everybody wants to chase him and kill him, you know. And if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. If you, if you like first person shooting video games, I, I'd say check it out. You know. Yeah, I I would say that movie's a little thin on story, but that's not yes, the point of that movie. <laughs> and, well, so is this one, but you know, it, it has a lot of symbolism in there, like you said. Yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. Um, but yeah, it's it that's totally uh, totally worth a look if if you're into kind of a big dumb action movie that's done in a slightly different way. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed my time with with uh, Hardcore Henry. Um, but yeah, all right, so. That is going to be Tetsuo, the Iron Man, y'all. It is, uh, how, how, how can I best describe it? A, a twisted examination of technological intrusion and the sensuality of the same, I think, is my wrap-up. Those, uh, are, those, are, those are a lot of words, sir. That's all I'm saying. It, yeah, I, it, would, <laughs> it would look good in an essay. If I were turning that into a college uh, professor, I think I would do all right. Mm-hmm. Um but Gary, thanks so much for for it, you were kind of the guy uh, when I mentioned Tetsuo. Did you bring it up? I don't know if I. I feel like I had it on the list, and you said you wanted to do it, or maybe you told me that you it's, wanted it's, to do it. It's been a while, yeah. Since I watched it, and it, it shows in my viewing. This I watched it three times for the show. One once of which was with, with the mute on while we were recording the show, and you know, and. Yeah, I just I wanted to get back to it. I remember it being uh, one of those one of those weird ones, and I wasn't disappointed. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and God, dragon dragon metal across your teeth is just 
I mean, if you're if you've ever done it as a human being, then I, I hope you stopped. I hope you never do it again. It's <laughs> I, it just sends chills down my back like I I, I can't I can't even describe. Um, so, uh, Gary, where can folks uh, find you, and uh, and and what are you going to be doing pretty soon? Mm, well, in the Legion feed, you could find me on two on uh, two trick Venom commentaries, usually with uh, Nudie and. Willis and whoever else wants to come on, all are welcome to come on that program. By the way, all are welcome to come on any of my programs. You guys are, if you're a listener, or a you're like Zelda uh, Rubenstein from Poltergeist. Yes, all are welcome. <laughs> yes, indeed. You guys are all welcome to come on it. I don't care if you're a listener or a podcaster. It's always fun to get your feet wet. As as far as if you are a listener, you want to do something like that. We uh we had on Misty and Ben's daughter, who's She's 13 now, but she was 12 at the time, and she she reviewed Bloody Birthday with us, and she seemed like not not, not like an old hand at it, but she she wasn't bad, and we were very impressed with her. So, so that that that, that was one thing. Um, and on the Horophilia Network, you could check out Sloppy Seconds, the movie sequel podcast, where it's just not not horror sequels. We do all kinds of sequels, and um, I have to review the next one. They released the next one actually, so. Not much after this gets released. Hopefully, the next one of those will be out for you guys to listen to. Uh, my the, the new the new squad on that the new squad on that show would is be uh, uh, Corey Graham, uh, myself, and Eric Bergstrom. Right. And we had, a, we had a special guest on that show, Tim Gross from uh, Blood Bass and Boomsticks podcast, and we talked about Return to Frogtown, which is a, not a lot of folks know there's a sequel to to Hell Comes to Frogtown, but there there is one and it's it's really stupid but it's really a lot of fun <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, besides that twitter at gw uh at Sin of beef cast you can check out check out both those things and if you ever come to chicago check me out uh one of the conventions i probably frequent i'll be going to one next weekend so if you guys are at days of the dead and in, in Sha- lovely schaumburg illinois you guys might, might see me there all right well uh what was the date again um, it's the weekend of the 18th. I know that for sure. All right. So weekend of the 18th, folks, uh, track Gary down and stalk him. Um, like, like, like I'll be stalking Judge Reinhold. Yes, indeed. Cause he's supposed to be there. I'm very excited. You know? Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. All right. I can get behind that. So, uh, folks, if you want to, uh, catch up on hero, hero, go show and more, uh, please head over to legionpodcasts.com. Uh, there you will find uh, not just this show, but uh, podcasts under the stairs and uh, two drink minimum commentaries and uh, Helming Power Hour and Hello, This is the Doom Show and show after show after show. I guarantee you just uh, sample them all. You're going to find something you like. Uh, I can almost promise you. And if you don't, eh, maybe you're you're just uh, your standards are a bit too high. Um, <laughs> so also over on iTunes, Hero Hero Go Show over there. Uh, if you would leave a review and rating, and as you hear me say again and again, there is absolutely no substitute for you, dear listener, uh, telling folks about the show that you enjoy. Um, if you do enjoy it, if you don't, eh, keep your mouth shut. Maybe we'll get them anyway. <laughs> so, I, like, I like having you here for this so that uh, I, I could get responses on my bad jokes. Um, no, it's, it's, it's cool because, you know, it's, it's hard to get them iTunes reviews because it seems like a real simple thing to do, but a lot of folks just don't do it. And it's important, guys, to check it out. Yeah, you know, what Gary said, see? <laughs> I'm not the only one saying this. And uh, and last but certainly not least, um, if you want to just drop us uh, a line uh, over on Facebook, uh, that's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Hero Hero Go Show. And, uh, yeah, we, you know, we uh, we drop a lot of stuff over there on the Facebook page, talking about new movies coming out, talking about movies that have come out. Uh, just got a, a – somebody dropped me a movie title a minute ago and, and was just asking, uh, hey, have you seen this and what do you think? Uh, spoiler, I haven't seen that one yet. Um, so, yeah, drop over to the, uh, the group. Let us know what you think of the show. Uh, if there's a movie you would like to see, uh, by all means, let us know there. And also – uh, if there's a movie you have seen recently or just want to comment about something that you saw from the show, do it there, and uh, I keep a, a close eye on it. So uh, feel free to say hello uh, over on uh, the Hero Hero Go Show 
uh, Facebook group. So uh, that is it. Uh, next week, uh, there will be a new movie, a new host, and the same old me uh, doing it. Uh, have a great week, everyone. And now, as much DYGL as I can legally play for you. And you're going to like this one. Good night. Oh, no, no.